morning again, and welcome to Church of the Cross. My name is Peter. I'm also one of the priests here at Church of the Cross. Uh, before we jump in uh, to the sermon, I wanted to just pause and uh, let you know, many of you will have been tracking with Lisa Van Allen uh, and her father's failing health, and I wanted to let you know that just a few moments, Lisa's father, Bruce, passed away just this morning. You may have seen Bruce here, and Bruce went to go be with Lisa and her family I was able to go on Friday and do last rites with Bruce and their family, and it was a really sweet time. But before we begin, I'd like to just pray for Lisa, for Paul, for their children and her sisters and their family as they grieve in this time. Would you join me now in prayer? Gracious and almighty God, we thank you for Lisa. We thank you for the Van Allen family and the gift that they are to our community. We thank you, too, for the life of Bruce Felder and your faithfulness to him, O Lord. And we pray now as the Van Allens and their extended family grieve Bruce's passing, that you would fill them with hope, O Lord. Would the truth of the resurrection, the promise of your faithfulness, be very real to them even as they grieve and mourn? And we pray, O Lord, and we entrust, O Lord, Bruce uh, as a child of yours to you, O Lord and ask that your good purposes for him would be fulfilled. Would you be with uh, Lisa and Rachel and Jackie, the Van Allen children for Ryder, their uh, cousin, in the days and weeks ahead, oh God. Uphold and bless them, we pray. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Thank you. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him, so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. Sometimes, moving forward means walking backward. I was struck by this not that pithy statement the other day when watching someone exercise on a treadmill, walking backwards. More than just a clever way to mix up the doldrums of staying fit, many of you will know that this action is actually a very helpful way to exercise, to maintain good health. Choosing just one, it's good for your hip flexors, apparently. These muscles, as we age, as we sit down a lot, invariably shorten. And a simple way to fight this effect is to walk backwards. Especially as we grow older, this basic thing can add life to your years. It's a way of moving into the future, moving forward while walking backwards. A similar idea, I think, is at work in our text this morning from Romans 15. This passage is very much a continuation of the text we looked at two weeks ago from Romans 14. With Paul's mention of the strong and weak, with the call upon the strong to bear with the weak and not please themselves, Paul is further developing these ideas that allow the church to demonstrate the reconciling power of the gospel, to live together. What God has done, Paul says, is in the sending of Jesus to overcome the powers of sin, death, and the law, in the sending of his Holy Spirit, these things now empower the church to live together by faith through grace, across cultural division, across ethnic and socioeconomic lines, the weak and the strong, bearing with one another's failures. This is all the kind of stuff we looked at two weeks ago. And the readings from 14 and 15, chapters 14 and 15, are a call to live into this pattern of life together. 
Yet our reading this morning clarifies some aspects of our shared life as the church. Specifically, I think here in Romans 15, Paul offers some description of how we might do this and to what end we might do this. How and to what end the church embodies the gospel together. And it's these clarifications I want to connect this morning with this idea of walking backward but moving forward. I'd like to take those two actions in turn this morning. So first, walking backward. Second, moving forward. Walk backward. The exhortation here in Romans 15 and the the possibility of the church living together with one mind, one voice, glorifying God, is not rooted in any particular quality or ability of those who call themselves members of the church. The capacity the church has to live together across dividing lines is not rooted in the fact that those who are in Christ happen to be kinder, more tolerant, more accepting in and of themselves. It's not a matter of a higher quality ingredient among the people in the community called the church. One of Jesus' most famous and remarkable miracles is one of the first recorded in the Gospels. The wedding in Canaan of Galilee, at which he turns water into wine, a crowd favorite. And this miracle is particularly incredible, not just because it results in an abundance of wine and a really good party, but because the jars in which this astounding transformation takes place do not contain the necessary ingredients to make wine. There is water, sure enough, but there are no grapes. This is not a matter of speeding up a naturally occurring process, drawing some future point closer. It is rather a remarkable intervention. No matter how long you leave your Brita filter unchanged or your Keurig coffee maker tank unchanged, it will not become wine. Something might grow in there, I know from experience, but it won't be wine. The necessary ingredients are not present. Yet Jesus is not restricted when it comes to the water at the wedding. He calls into being what is not present. And neither is Jesus restricted when it comes to those in the church, to our life together, to your life as a follower of Jesus. You may feel, and it may be the case, that the necessary ingredients are not present. The necessary ingredients to live faithfully as Jesus calls you For us to live together as Christ commands, as Paul implores, to bear with one another, to share the same mind, glorifying God. You would be right if you doubted that this group had what it takes. We are not capable of doing so, of living the way that Paul describes in the final chapters of Romans. Not just tolerating difference, but actively accepting one another, serving one another, Contributing to our edification in Christ. The ingredients are not here. But the living God, the God of hope, is not restricted by such things. He is able to call forth life from death, a new way of being from among a sinful and broken people. He's able to call forth in your life what is not present in and of yourself. He's able to call forth among us a pattern of life that pleases him, that we cannot attain on our own. How does this happen? 
by looking backward. Accept one another just as Christ accepted you, Paul writes. Remember the active acceptance you have received, that he has taken away your shame as we just sung. Remember it as an example to follow, of course, the the pattern of life that Jesus sets out, his attitude towards strangers, to those who are far off. Adopt this same pattern. Imitate him. But more than that, remember this truth, the acceptance we all share in Jesus as this transformative claim that actually makes it more possible to be the kind of person who accepts others, bears with them, When we remind ourselves of the truth of God's grace for us in Jesus, that we are accepted as we are despite our sin and shame, we are changed. This has been a consistent theme in our journey through Romans, that the proclamation of the gospel has power, spiritual power, liberating power, real power. Power to make you free, free to be the kind of person you would wish to be, free to be the kind of person you were made to be. This morning, do you find your desire for the good flagging? Is your desire to persist in the way of love dormant, failing? Is the very thought of extending yourself to someone else absolutely exhausting? Remind yourself of Christ's acceptance of you. Proclaim to yourself the truth of the gospel. Allow others to proclaim it to you. That its powerful, life-giving declaration might change you, free you, strengthen you, give you the energy you need. You once were dead, an enemy of God. Now, in Jesus, you have been brought near, given life, made a beloved daughter or son of the Most High God, with siblings from every tribe, tongue, and nation. Look behind. Look to the past. Remember what Christ has done for you, that you might move forward. This is the fundamental logic of our Old Testament passage from Deuteronomy 6. Remember who the Lord is. Remember his character, what he has done, that you might that it might go well for you as you move forward. The gospel claim, the claim of our acceptance in Jesus is the transformative reality at the center of our life, the center of the church's life. It's the reactive core powering everything else, our way of life together, empowering us to build one another up, to accept one another, to endure, to live together in sincere love as Paul describes. The gospel is the key ingredient. It makes all of this possible when it would not be possible otherwise. That's not to say that the way of life that Paul calls us to is simple or easy. The life together that Paul describes and calls us to is challenging. Anyone who has spent time cross-culturally, whether in the context of Christian community or not, will tell you that it is tiring. My wife and I lived in Hiroshima, Japan for a couple of years, and I can tell you we watched a lot of American television as comfort food. The end of a long day, you just put the Sopranos on or something and let that English wash over you, and you're like, oh, goodness, that was easy. 
living together with people who are different from you is difficult to sustain. To live into the vision that Paul invites us toward requires endurance, requires encouragement. In verse 4, Paul provides this interesting aside where he stops his main line of thought and digresses to, to write about the benefit, the function of the Old Testament for the church. It's written for our teaching that we might learn endurance, he writes, and receive encouragement. In the final verses of our reading, he then quotes from this series of texts from the Psalms and prophets, almost as an example of what he's named in verse 4, right? Providing a picture that engenders encouragement and endurance. Paul's words here about the way that Scripture functions for us suggest that the past still has power. That looking backwards is a means of moving forward in faith as the people of God. This is a point that our speaker last week, John Onwuchekwa, made for us. That rereading the stories of God's faithfulness has present and future significance for us. It cultivates in us an encouraged expectancy. We're not sure how he will show his faithfulness, but he will show his faithfulness. The stories of God's actions in the past have ongoing significance. Significance for who they reveal God to be. A deliverer, a good shepherd, one who makes and keeps covenants. Significant, too, for the endurance that they teach us, the example of faithfulness we see in God's people from ages past, those who've gone before us, who themselves endured, who did not see the full realization of the promises for which they were waiting, but entrusted themselves nonetheless, knowing that God was faithful. Their endurance in faith was not put to shame, and neither will yours. Do not give up. What Paul describes in these verses here in the larger section of Romans toward the end of the book is a community that's bound together, not by absolute agreement or cultural similarity, that's not held together by the best efforts of its members. Rather, he describes a community bound together by this particular story, this sense of what God has done in the world, a particular understanding of who God is revealed in Jesus. That is what binds the church together. That is what binds us together. That is what allows us to move forward together. In Homer's Odyssey, there's this famous scene of the sirens, right? Odysseus and his crew are seeking to return home, and they're drawn in. They recognize the siren song, and they're potentially drawn off course forever, sabotaged, waylaid from their destination. And part of how they get to where they need to be is, right, by binding Odysseus to the mast of the ship, that the song may not lead him and the whole crew off course. The crew members put wax in their ears, but the binding is the point here for the illustration to work. (laughs) What Paul envisions here is that the community of God's people, the church, shares the reality that we are bound to this one story. We are bound to this sense of who God is and what he's doing in the world, what he's done in the past, and what we can joyfully expect him to do in the future. We're bound together in this sense of who Christ is, who he reveals God to be, faithful, gracious, mighty to save. Freedom comes not from, uh, un, like, 
divesting yourself of any connection to any larger story, but binding yourself to a life-giving, transformative story, the gospel. The only way for us as the church is to bind ourselves to these truths as revealed in Scripture, as held forth in the church. These truths, these stories, they have the resources, the power that we need to live together as Paul instructs, as God calls us to. We find the resources, the endurance, the encouragement we need through God's word. This is the way we live together as we're meant to. The only way we can embody the gospel in a world of estrangement. The only way we can persist in living as a community of difference. The only way forward is to look back. With eyes focused on the goodness of God in Christ, the stories, the true stories of his faithfulness and deliverance back on the examples of endurance that have gone before. This is how you and I move forward. This, of course, is a rationale for our ongoing engagement with the story of Scripture, right? As a a means of binding ourselves, reminding ourselves of these stories, these truths that bring life, that transform us, that provide us the energy, the strength we need by God's Holy Spirit. We move forward by looking back. In closing, I want to touch on this notion of moving forward and specifically the language of hope. In the back half of our reading, Paul describes this grand vision of the nations of the earth through Jesus praising God, right? The Gentiles drawn in with the people of God, the Israelites, to worship God. And Paul sees the small communities in Rome, these small smattering of house churches, as an expression of this grand, sure, and certain future. This sure future vision is the context in which Paul calls for the unity in these churches, for unity around Christ. Glorify him now in one voice and one mind, because this is the sure and good end that God is guiding you toward, he is saying. When you accept one another, when you bind yourself to the truth of the gospel, when you take on the mind and attitude of Christ, you are acting in line with the way things are going to be. Don't give up, Paul is imploring. Don't give up in being united in praise. I am not a very handy person. I am not good at household fix-up projects. They invariably end with, like, the children needing to go to another room because dad's going to use some words they shouldn't hear. (laughs) The reason I'm no good at fixing things and being handy is I don't have much hope. I don't have much hope in myself getting the job done. So when things invariably go wrong, I kind of lose my mind. I kind of, like, get discouraged and waylaid and just want to give up. I have no sense of the end being completed. Hope is a necessity in any journey, any endeavor. Hope in completing the task. Hope in realizing the goal. Hope in entering into that new place. Hope fuels persistence. With hope, we endure in what needs to be done. With hope, we can be encouraged of good cheer even before completion, before the destination is arrived at. Like I said, hope is hard for me at times. I suspect, I know, that many of us 
this morning have reason to be discouraged, to flag and fail in our hope, to be tired. The task for us this morning is not to conjure up hope, to get your hope on, as it were. The hope that Paul describes is not of our own making, but it is the gift of God, the gift of God's Holy Spirit. The gift of hope comes through the promises of God, through his very presence. We might say that hope arises out of an encounter with the God who gives hope. It's a gift. But it's a gift of the gospel that we perhaps can cultivate here and now. Paul writes, may the God of hope, the hope-giving God, give you peace and joy as you trust in him. As you take him at his word, as we exercise trust in the God of hope, through him, through his Holy Spirit, joy and peace can be ours. We can be encouraged to persist. We can find hope. This morning, we have opportunities to exercise our trust that we might receive hope. In a few moments, we will come to this table to receive the the body and blood of Jesus shed for us. That is an exercise in trust. We will sing again of God's character, his mighty works. That is an act of trust. And we are going to take some time just now to pray together. And that is an act of trust. It's our usual practice to respond to the sermon by confessing our faith together in the words of the Nicene Creed and then praying for the church and the world in the written prayers of the people. But this morning, as we do from time to time, we are going to take a few moments to worship by song in an extended way. And there will be an opportunity to pray with people about any need whatsoever. This, too, is an opportunity to confess our faith, to exercise trust, with the expectation that the God who gives hope will meet us. There are going to be a couple of different ways you can respond this morning. The most obvious is to lend your voice to the songs that Krista and the band will lead us in. As, like I said, a confession of faith in anticipation, living into that future that Paul points us to, praising God with one voice. You might also take this time to pray, to be still right where you are, to take a seat and and lift to God an area of your life where you long to have hope, where you long to know God's joy and peace. You might also pray with someone nearby, a friend or a spouse. There is real power in praying together, in proclaiming the gospel to one another. Another way you can respond is there will be people in each corner of this room, a few teens, available to pray with you. There's not anything particularly special about these people, but we're here and available to pray. We will anoint you with oil as a sign of God's spirit with you and for you. For those of you online, Father David will be on the chat there to pray with you any need that you might share and to simply lead you together in prayer. Many of us come this morning carrying very heavy things. In the midst of situations where it is hard, difficult to have hope. 
situations of physical or mental unhealth, emotional strife, spiritual challenges, perhaps intractable relational dynamics, marriages that are challenging, relationships with children that don't seem to be solved. Perhaps we come believing lies about ourselves, lies about who God is, things that we cannot seem to overcome. Those are all situations where the God who gives hope desires to meet you, to remind you of his faithfulness and power, and to demonstrate his goodness, his grace in a new and fresh way. However you might feel led to respond in this time, I suppose my basic encouragement is this, in line with the passage, is to exercise trust in some fashion. To be active, whether it is just sitting in stillness, singing together as a group, coming forward for prayer. To move forward in some way in faith, trusting in God. Think of this as a moment to be active in trust with the expectation that God has hope has joy and peace for you in Christ by his Holy Spirit.